0: Welcome to the Ocean for Organizing podcast, where every Thursday we explore what it means to build community and create change. I'm Ben Marine, and team, I am so excited for this episode. Uh, Mona Wong has been not only a mentor and close friend of mine for years, but is also the one that actually hooked me into organizing. I remember it was after my very first volunteer shift on marriage equality in Maine in 2012, where Mona was trying to recommit me to another action. And I was super excited, but also a hot mess in the scheduling department. So naturally, Mona asked me to a one-on-one that hooked me into organizing and forever changed my life. I have learned so much from Mona over the years, and any opportunity to share space with her is truly a gift. She has experience running and directing field operations for LGBTQ campaigns on marriage equality and non-discrimination. She was the executive director of API Equality of Northern California, working to build LGBTQ Asian and Pacific Islander power. She has consulted on a myriad of projects and is currently a partner of special projects at the Management Center. She is also passionate about life and health and as a newish parent with her partner is constantly inspiring in her ability to prioritize the things she cares most about. So without much further ado, let's dive on in. So I'm curious, what got you into organizing?
1: Well, I I feel like... My first experience organizing was on LGBTQ campaigns, electoral campaigns, and that was after college. But I, I would say that I'd been doing activism and I was being primed for organizing as like a, a student in high school um, when I started uh, participating in, in these like youth leadership development programs in New York uh, for Asian American youth. Um, and I think, you know, fundamentally, it was just seeing disparities, seeing and experiencing disparities in how people were being treated, um, based on race, gender, class, you know, all of, all of the all of the isms, um, and wanting to do something about it.
0: I think one of the things that I, really appreciate about you is that you i i feel like of all the folks i know you seem to be or at least i don't know if this is true but it seems that you are the most uh able to balance that like work but also like personal life and i'm curious how how what that like how you how you how you do that
1: um i think having a baby definitely makes it easier to say no (laughs) I feel like, you know, uh, for better or worse, because it is like, so, it is socially acceptable in our society to have a kid and then, ha- and then it's like understood that that will change your life, that all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to say, like, nope, I can't show up at this thing or I, ca- or I can't be on that committee or I can't take that shift because I am trying to keep this tiny human alive. Um, I wouldn't say that that was always the case. I think that pre child, like, that I definitely, especially in the beginning when I was when I was first starting to organize and I was working on campaigns, it was so easy to get sucked in and kind of just like uh, consumed by the work. Um, I think that that's true for a lot of young uh, queer folks especially um, or like folks who are just trying to like, you know, create change in the world and build community while they're doing it. It becomes so easy to just say like, okay, the people that I organize with they're also my family. They're the people that i I might also live with them, and we're just gonna do everything together like I'm gonna eat, sleep, and breathe organizing and this is this is this who I am now um and I think that's that's awesome until it's not until it becomes like so much a part of your identity that you don't have space to develop other aspects of your identity. You know and and I say this as someone who I feel like i I'm always gonna identify as an organizer um because the organizing has influenced like every every aspect of how I approach the rest of my life um and at the same time, like I think it's it's taken me a lot of learning about what it means to be an organizer, um, for the long haul.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, like, what are, what are some of those things that, that you've learned in terms of like that long haul? And also like something I just heard you say was, um, you know, applying kind of your organizer skills or toolbox to other parts of your life. Like what, what are some of those skills and tools that you've used in other facets of life and then and and kind of yes yeah, two questions in one but <laughs> if that makes sense
1: yeah well i would say i like to tell people that like okay so when i got started as an organizer i was like working in ohio trying to protect um an lgbt non-discrimination ordinance in this small city in ohio and a lot of my job was like getting people to do stuff that was kind of scary, you know, like trying to recruit volunteers to knock on the doors of people that they, you know, we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't know if they were going to be on our side or not. Um, And I feel like as much as, as like organizing can be fun and, you know, some people love canvassing and phone banking I don't know if it's really anyone's, like, number one thing that they want to do on a Saturday morning or a Tuesday evening. And so I feel like having had the experience of getting people to do the thing that they might be most scared of has been, like, really helpful in almost every other aspect of my life. You know, like, I think just, like, getting people excited to do something that might not be fun it might be scary but you know that it is like ultimately better for everyone um and that the work needs to get done I mean that's what I tell myself whenever I like get out of bed and go to Pilates in the morning <laughs> when I don't want to do that right um so so that's like definitely one part of it um I would also say like learning how to communicate with people who may not be on your side and who may never be on your side, but to be able to have, like, to be civil and have dialogue um, that's both honest and, that, and maintains your own integrity. Like, that's something that I learned from organizing. That's something that I learned from, like, talking to voters at their doorsteps and trying to recruit volunteers on, you know, street corners. And it's definitely helped me be better about communicating with people that actually are with me and who are in my community.
0: That makes sense. I'm curious for, for folks who maybe are maybe less experienced or just getting started, what are some of those skills that you've used like in terms of like maybe tips for motivating people to do the thing that they don't want to do, but that is maybe good for the greater yeah. collective?
1: I'm trying to remember what I would tell new organizers when... when and I was working directly with them and training them. I think the first thing is really deeply understanding why it is that you do the work. Um, whatever your internal motivation is, I would always tell organize, new organizers to bring or volunteers to bring that to to bring that out 110%. So like whatever whatever it is that gets you out of bed in the morning to do the work, shine a light on that. And show that to the people that you are trying to recruit or uh, motivate or train or whatever, whoever it is that you're working with, you know. And and the thing is, the motivation is different for everybody. Some people are in it because they're just deeply afraid of what's going to happen if we lose. Um, And so, like, fear can be a really big motivator for some folks. But some people are in it because they're just like so excited about the possibility of what the world could look like if X, Y, Z change happened. Um, And so to those people, I would say like bring that excitement because whatever it is that you truly feel and believe in, that's the thing that's going to resonate the most in other people. Um, and it's the thing that's going to come across most authentically, right? Like, you can't use someone else's motivation to um, to inspire other people because it doesn't work that way. I think the other thing is, like, when you're an organizer, and especially when you're working with people who aren't already with you, um, or if you're working, you know, primarily with people who don't have a lot of experience with organizing, like, we see on the daily firsthand how people can move whether that's like they're changing their hearts and minds or they are gaining more confidence in themselves or they're like developing new skills so that they can go out and you know get better results uh to remember that like we all actually have a starting point like none of us arrive at the table fully formed um with everything that we need to get the work done and so like I think being able to have that sense of generosity and grace towards the people that we work with and are in community with um, can help us actually be more compassionate when we're working with folks who aren't quite where we are yet. And I think it helps us, like you know, maintain that sense of humility that helps us grow and get better at what we do. I think. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah. No, it does. That's that's awesome. And I'm curious, kind of on that same line, what is it about the work that um, you're most passionate about, or that keeps you in it.
1: Mm. I guess I set myself up for that question, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not someone who's really motivated by fear, for sure. I think for me, it is, it is imagining possibility, and it, it's like the act of like stretching my own imagination. Um, like I sometimes still have a hard time, you know, like. I think it can be really easy to get stuck in the short and, like, medium-term wins. So, like, getting this piece of legislation passed or blocking that horrible thing from happening, it's, it's hard to imagine what liberation can really look like. And so, but I feel excited about that. I feel excited about, like, imagining the possibilities I think, like, going back to having a kid, definitely becoming a parent has changed. I know this sounds really cliche, but becoming a parent has definitely changed how I feel about what I'm working towards. Um, Because all of a sudden, I feel like it's not just about the change that I can make in my lifetime, but what am I setting up so that my children's or child's lifetime, you know, Will look different. I I was recently at a convening, and we were asked to uh, call upon a person or people that we are like doing this work for. And someone was like, "I'm I'm doing this for all of the people who are seven generations ahead." Um, And I know that that's, that's something that's like that I've that I've heard before, but I feel like that's definitely a lot more on my mind now. Like, this deep sense of responsibility for leaving the world a little bit better. And not just for my one child um, or all the people in my child's generation, but for, like, the many, many generations afterwards.
0: Kind of along that same line of of parenthood, uh, I I know something that comes up a lot is folks – often have the question how How do you do that how do you and, and and maybe this is something that you kind of already touched on but how how do you navigate parenthood while balancing it with this with this work
1: yeah i would say i don't know if i'm really doing it that well right now you know um i've only been i mean it's only been a year and a half and i i imagine that I feel like right now I'm still in kind of like a parent grace period. Like people are definitely extending a lot of grace to me when I'm like, I can't do the thing or I'm not as involved in some of the organizations that I've been, that that I'd been like volunteering with. Um, so I don't know. Like, I feel like I, I might have, I'll probably have a different answer to this in like two years. Um, but what I can say is I've been, I've just, it is, it is really liberating to just be really clear with yourself and other people on what your boundaries are. So, like, I told myself I wasn't going to do, or I was going to avoid as much as possible evening commitments, and um, and I have. <laughs> I think that I'm just finding different ways to be involved with some of the causes and organizations that I care about. I think the thing about being a parent is that it it definitely forces you to spend your time more efficiently. And so I find that even though I kind of have less time, I'm doing more because I'm doing more with it. <laughs> um, I think the other thing is I'm noticing more and more now which movement spaces are actually family friendly. So like I'm one hundred times more likely to show up to something if it's gonna if it happens before five PM, you know? or if i know that like there's going to be childcare um or if i know that i can bring my child to to the thing and it's really making me realize like how much actually our organizing spaces are inaccessible to families which is i think it's okay that not every space is accessible to babies and children like everyone has a role to play somewhere um, but I think that like, w- whenever I do get back more back, you know, into organizing, I'll be thinking about like, what are some of the actual, what are the things that I had never considered before that I'll need to consider now that I am a parent? Yeah, I, I can't, and you know, I, I feel like this answer is a little dissatisfying because I, I don't know if I have like pro tips for how to have it all. Cause I don't think you really can, um, I also think there's something about like the individual choices that I make as a parent with my child um and the things that I want to teach her about how to be in the world that like I'm starting to confront now but like it's going to come up more and more like what kind of books are we reading you know where how am I teaching her how to treat other people like those are also aspects of parenting that that intersect with organizing right because it's about um How do I teach her how to be in a world that might not actually be, that's not made for everybody? So I feel like I'm deeply having to examine my personal choices while recognizing that my personal choices are not always going to be enough. Like that's, you know, it can, I mean, those are really important, but also um, it's also important to stay connected to community. and to actually be out there organizing. Like, I think it can be really easy for parents to be like, well, my child, the way that I raise my child is my activism. And, and that while I respect that, I also feel like for me personally, that's not enough.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, that's super. And thank you for, for sharing that. I'm going to change gears a little bit here. Uh, so you've done, you've, you've had a bunch of different roles, you know, executive director of API Equality Northern California. You've been a consultant for a few different organizations. Uh, you're a uh, managing special projects right now. I'm curious of all of those roles. What has been some of the biggest challenges, and how how have you navigated those?
1: Oh man! <laughs> when I was running a, a tiny nonprofit, when I was the ED of a Pink. That was very hard work, and I I think, okay, I'm gonna. I guess there are a couple of things. One is feeling like you're always having to prove to other people why your work is important. I felt that more at APINK than I did anywhere else, Um, and the reason for that, I think, is because you know APINK is is a small, it's a small, scrappy organization run by, you know, by and for queer and trans Asians and Pacific Islanders, right? It's like a very, it's a very specific community of people, and um, I don't think it's always clear to outsiders why the work that we do or did and do is important. Um, You know, it's different from telling someone that you're working on a campaign to uh, legalize marriage for same-sex couples, which I think people get that. Like, even people who don't agree with marriage for same-sex couples or who aren't that interested in being married themselves, like, understand why that is a valid or important struggle. So I think that when I was at Apink, there was a lot of having to... Pr- have, one, first of all, like, sometimes people are just surprised that, like, queer and trans API people exist in the world, <laughs> So there's like that that first hurdle of like being making yourself known in the world, and then the the second piece is like making your issues and your experiences known to people, and then then the third layer of that is like getting people to work with you to resolve those issues or to you know to change. The conditions that create those issues. Like I I think I think it is very hard to be an organizer within the nonprofit industrial complex. I think it's it's really hard when when you're trying to figure out like how to how to do work that is like deep and meaningful, and then also like how to state the case so that you can get funding for it, and then wanting to sustain the work and the people who are doing the work while also recognizing that like some of the stuff that we do and the ways that we make change exist outside of these logic models or the theories of change or the strategic plans that are expected of us. And I I, I don't think that my experience at APINC was unique. I think that a lot of queer and trans people of color, a lot of cultural workers um, and a lot of just marginalized communities experience this struggle when, when they're doing the work that they do.
0: Yeah. And I, I I feel like in, in that vein, a lot of, or it sounds like a lot of that is, is kind of tied to how like nonprofits, it's all very like metric driven and, and all of, you know, wanting tangibles and deliverables and all these things. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are around like how we define success, like how, like what, Like, like if, like if you could like wave a wand and, you know, how, you know, kind of change the way that, that those frameworks are like, how, what, what do you think would be Mm -hmm. a great place for us to start to kind of dissect and, uh, kind of rebuild?
1: Yeah. I, I often wonder what would it be like if we evaluated the success of organizations, movements based on not just what they accomplish, but also how they go about it. Like, does the way that an organization go about accomplishing its mission reflect what it is that they're achieved? achieve? Like, are people being kind to each other? How many people are, are left at the end of the day? You know, like, how many people come back to the work? Um those are the things that I, I wonder about. I, because I think that like, especially for groups that are just trying to envision like a whole different way of doing things, we can get so wrapped up in, in the results that we're trying to achieve that we don't actually like treat each other all that well. I feel like this question of like, how do we keep people in the work? Um, like how do we do the work in a way that that doesn't lose anybody? Um, is something that, like, no matter what the issue is that you're working on, whatever the movement, community, organization, like, that is a problem that we all face, and I, I feel like I've seen this over and over again, where people just get burnt out, or they have conflict, and they don't know how to resolve it, or, like, people have trauma, and they're just replicating it in their relationships with each other, that, like, we don't know how to be. We don't know how to treat each other in any other way, right? So we're just like replicating all the symptoms of the systems of oppression that we're we're trying to change or trying to eradicate. Yeah, like I don't. So I know this isn't totally answering the question about like what are the what are what should we, how should we be measuring success? But I think that like the the tough thing for me, the thing that I'm reckoning with right now is like, even when we achieve our goals, if there's like all this, there are all these broken relationships along the way, like what, how much have we really changed or how much have we really reimagined about our future or our world?
0: Yeah, that's, that's, so, I don't know,
1: I would love to see like funders or anyone really calling into question, like how, how we're keeping people in, you know, in the mix.
0: Right. Thinking about like that sustainability piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's super real. Um, I'm curious, what what about what about favorite moments? Do you have like a, a favorite of a, like a classic favorite memory?
1: You know, I, I think that probably all of my favorite moments actually come from working in Maine because I feel like we created such a special space for people to like do the hard work and also experience a whole lot of joy and so, like, all my favorite moments are, like, the silly times or, or the times when we woke up at, like, 5 in the morning to go surfing before a 12-hour workday. Um, I think that it's, like, incredible that, like, people can work so hard but be so invested still in, like, having fun and building community that we would do things like, like make time to to go climbing, you know, in the middle of the day or um, sing songs, like that video of us. What's that song that's like the church song?
0: Oh, my gosh. Do you
1: remember? I do. I, I do remember.
0: I do remember it. Or do you remember it?
1: yeah, those are some of the best times you know, like when you're just doing the thing and it and it, it's like all the things all the little things that make the hard stuff feel easier or more palatable um those are my favorite moments, and I feel like the one of the most remarkable things about the human condition is like people's ability to to find joy. Even when it's stressful or hard or frustrating, um, like, those are definitely the things that stand out to me.
0: You know, I think uh, for folks who were part of the marriage campaign in 2012 in Portland, Maine, I think, I, I think, or at least for myself, I can say, I mean, that that was just the team environment was so incredible. And I think a lot of folks would attribute that to your leadership, um, I, when you're building teams and you're thinking about, like, intentionally building that team culture, how, like, how how do you do that? Like, I mean, it was just such an incredibly, I, I mean, magical feels cheesy, but also accurate, <laughs> you know, for that space.
1: Oh, thanks. You know, I think about, that was the biggest team I had managed up until that point. And actually, it's still the biggest team that I've managed. Um, You know, there were... I don't even remember how many full-time organizers we had, but it was, like, yeah, I can't remember. But it was also, like, I think it grew from, like, 2 to, like, 15 or something over a couple of months. And then we had a a bunch of volunteers. And I think that my North Star for building a team was, like, wanting to create a space where people felt like their full humanity was being recognized and could be present. Um, I had just been in so many spaces up until that point, And also some spaces since then where, um, I felt like I had to leave a part of myself at the door and I just didn't want folks to feel that way. Um, especially because I felt like I had a really big responsibility because there were people, not just people who are brand new to organizing, but people who are brand new to being queer or brand new to being trans, or maybe had not yet even discovered those things about themselves um and there were so many young folks that I was like I imagined the kind of space I wanted when I was brand new to a space and I just tried to do all of those things (laughs) um and I mean honestly I think that part of what made it possible for me to do that was one I had a team you know like I had a core team of people who are just as invested in creating that space. And then the other thing is that I was given the autonomy to actually create that space. Like no one was looking over my shoulder being like, why are you creating music videos in the middle of the day? Or why are you taking two hour breaks? Um, Like there wasn't that kind of scrutiny. And so I think like the the magic was allowed to happen, (laughs) you know? Um, I also feel like we looked out because everyone who was on our team like was deeply invested in each other and and like wanted to do the best work that they could, and they wanted to treat each other well like i don't I don't know if there were if there were people who didn't share that investment, I don't think that they stayed on the team that long <laughs> um you know mostly by choice right like they would like i I feel like we were unapologetic and unwavering in our commitment to building a, a very specific type of team environment. And so like people, it's almost like people self-selected into it and they wanted to build that with us. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Yeah,
0: no, I mean, I, I think that that's super real. And I think, you know, I, cause I think the other piece of it that, and, and I, and I, I partly asked the question because I feel like I've attempted to try to create that magic and, and I don't know how I feel like there are definitely instances where I was successful in, in doing that and on, mm-hmm. in certain projects and definitely areas where I feel like I, I fell short. And but when I think back to like that particular team, I mean, I just have nothing but fond memories. And on top of that, we crushed every goal and metric that we were, mm-hmm. you know, like I think what was it like the final weeks of the campaign? There were over 2000 volunteers that walked through those doors in those final weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just I mean, it's just incredible um, what what was accomplished. Um And so I think, yeah, I mean, it definitely was, uh, I I think you and and, and the team were very successful in creating an atmosphere that people just could not get enough of.
1: You know, I think a big part of it was that we weren't afraid to give feedback and we made feedback like a huge part of our culture, um, like from the beginning. And... it, it it was part of how we invested in each other and in our community is that we, we would, we would call things out if, if something wasn't working or if folks weren't showing up, um, as their best selves. Like, I think that we, we made space to, to really like be honest about the hard stuff as well. Um, so it wasn't just like, we were all cheerleaders and we're like, you know, rah, rah, everything is great. But it was like we created the kind of like space where we could just have direct communication with each other about when things weren't working. Um And that helped us build trust in each other that like, oh, yeah, if something's not going well, I know you'll tell me. Or if something's going on with you, I know that I know that you'll be honest about it. And we can work through it together. It, it never felt like it never felt like we weren't on the same side. Yeah. And, you know, like going back to the thing about like being a parent, I don't know if I would have been able to do that if I weren't like a 20, if I weren't like 22 and twi- or 23 and like that was all my life was, was like working on this campaign.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think something else that, that really attributed to that team culture, and it was the first time I had ever kind of encountered this framework was this idea and and I've talked about it. I feel like, and it comes up a lot, I think in the other podcast episodes, but just this whole idea and concept of asking for help. And like, I even, I feel like I remember even like in almost every check-in we ever had, like as a team and we would have them every morning and every evening that there was always a like asks for help moment, you know, and that it just was such a part of the, the team culture to, you know, that like that work hoarding was, so discouraged and that like asking for help and inviting people into the work was so promoted and so celebrated. Um, I think that was, I think that was really huge too. Oh,
1: thanks for reminding me of that. Huh.
0: What about, is is there, so through all these different roles and and all of your experience, if there was any piece of advice that you could give your younger self or yourself as you were just kind of maybe ankle deep into the waters of organizing what advice would you give yourself?
1: Okay, before I answer this, do you have an answer for yourself?
0: Oh, advice for my younger self. I, I think my I, I think my advice for my younger self would be just to be more gentle and patient with myself. You know, like just mm-hmm. knowing that like I'm I, I I I don't need to have all the answers, even though it often feels like. I think especially when you're put into leadership roles quickly, you know, when you move up in leadership quickly, I think, or at least for me, something I struggled with is feeling like, oh my gosh, like everyone's looking to me for answers. Like I need to know all the things. And the reality is like, that's just not true. Like it's still okay and still important to ask for help. And it's still um, okay to say, you know what? I don't know. (laughs) You know, like let's figure it out together. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's something I maybe continue to, to struggle with even, even in, in, in current work is, is recognizing that no, no amount of years or experience or anything is like, like we're all still learning and growing and, and just to be patient and gentle ourselves. Yeah. I think just being patient and gentle.
1: You know, I have to say that I got some pretty good advice early on because I had like a really awesome mentor um, and like, you know, shout out to Bexahuja who totally like taught me how to organize um, and the best advice that I got earlier on, well, there were a couple of things, but one that stands out to me is like, it's never too late to make a good decision, which I've found very liberating many times in my life whenever I felt stuck in a bad situation where I'm like, wait, I still can make a a good decision here. Um, but with that said, if I were to go back, I think the thing that I would tell myself is something that one of my coworkers recently said to me, or this is one of her life mottos is, um, the mantra, this is a tunnel (laughs) and you'll get through it. (laughs) And I think that, you know, when you're, like, in a very intense moment, it can feel like this is it. This is the whole world. Like, everything, this is the only thing that matters. And I, I think that, like, th- that's very much a campaign mentality too, right? Because when you're trying to recruit volunteers or you're trying to talk to voters, like, you, we talk so much about urgency. It's like everything is urgency, urgency, urgency. We're always trying to convince ourselves and other people that, like, this is the most important thing you can do right now. Um, Which I think that's helpful, right? Like it it definitely helps get results. And at the same time, I don't think that having tunnel vision, like a sustained amount of tunnel vision ends up like helps us in the long run. Um, And so just having that perspective of like, this is a moment in time, and we're we're gonna get through this, and like whether or not the results are what we want them to be we're gonna there's gonna be another side to this, and we're gonna like move on. I think that that's that can be really helpful. it helps with not feeling like you're just gonna burn out because you have to give everything to that particular moment, and I think there's almost like a sense of relief that you know like time keeps moving forward we will we are gonna keep living. <laughs> even after this move, this moment is over.
0: You mentioned that you can always make a good decision now. I'm curious to hear more like about that. Like, like, what do you mean by that? Like you can all, like, you can always like change direction or. or...
1: Yeah, I think for me, it's a reminder that like you always have agency, right? There is like, even when you're stuck in a bad, in a bad situation, or, you know, it's it's really hard, you know, like, it could be anything. You could be, like, you've planned an action and you don't have enough sign-ups. Or you are trying to build a relationship with a coalition partner and it's, like, off to a rocky start. Like, there's always something you can do to try to improve your outcomes, right? And it's, it's never, you know, like, I think sometimes we get trapped in this mindset of, like, all right, well, like, we made this decision, and now we just have to live with it, <laughs> and that's not always the case, you know, like, just because we did one thing one at one time, it doesn't mean we're, like, suddenly married to that decision that we made in the past, so, like, whether that's, like, a person that you hired who is no longer a great fit or, um. I don't know, a goal that you set that, like, doesn't make sense anymore. Like, you can always make a good decision. You can always make a better decision to get to the outcomes that you want.
0: I see. That makes sense. I love that. Love that. Um, any any last thoughts or, or other other things you want to leave with folks? or?
1: I think the thing that's most important to me about being in movement spaces and being in community with people is that no one person feels like – disposable you know like I think like I what matters to me is for people to feel like they have a place in the movement and that like if you make mistakes you're not just going to get tossed aside um, but that also like people bring into their interactions like the the intention of being in it for the long haul and that I, I want that to come out in the way that we treat each other and it really is true that, like, chances are if you're, like, on a campaign with someone or you are, um, you know, organizing with someone that, like, chances are it's not going to be the last time that you ever see them again. And so, like, how would we treat each other if we knew that, like, we would keep having to run into each other in the same spaces over and over again or even in different spaces? Um, like, would that help us be better to each other? Um I would
0: hope so. Thank you so much, Mona. I really, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode with Mona Wong. Hopefully you all will get to hear more from Mona over the years as I find her insight and humor not only helpful, but good for the soul. I've put links to all the resources mentioned in the show notes, which you can find at OceanofOrganizing.com, including the Management Center where Mona works. If you're not familiar with the Management Center, definitely check them out. They are a fantastic resource and offer some great trainings. Also check out a copy of the book Managing to Change the World. It's a great book and an excellent reference that I know I've used a lot over the years. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen and leave a review. It helps us rank higher and helps more folks like yourself find this content. Thank you. I appreciate you. And as always, be well.